podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. The good news of Jesus is like a cyclone that tears the roof off the houses of certainty that we've built and invites us to think again. The good news of Jesus is like burying a sack of seeds deep in your heart and waiting for the life of experience to call them forth with fresh shoots of understanding. The good news of Jesus is actually an invitation to dance, to put our hands in the hands of God and to allow God to dance us into a new dimension of life, full of rhythms and moves and steps that leave us feeling full of vitality. Well, let's listen this morning to Jesus, to his very first sermon, as he explains to us what the good news is in his own language. We're reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, from verse 16. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and they were amazed at his gracious words, And they said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you do in Capernaum. And he said to them, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown, but the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, All in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off a cliff. You see, the good news that Jesus brings is like a cyclone that tears the roof off the houses of certainty that we've built and invites us to think again. The good news that Jesus brings is like burying a sack of seeds deep in our heart and waiting for the light of everyday experience 
to have them burst forth into new shoots of understanding. The gospel of Jesus is like an invitation to dance, to put our hands in the hands of God and to allow God to dance us into a new dimension of life, full of rhythms and moves that leave our bodies filled with a sense of vitality. But let's just get real for a second. I mean, having the roof ripped off your house, feeling the discomfort of fresh shoots of understanding bursting forth, taking those stiff and, for me, middle-aged limbs and contorting them into new patterns of movement, well, none of these things are particularly pleasurable experiences. And given the right circumstances, as the congregation listening to Jesus' first sermon discovered, many of these things have the potential to make us very angry. So angry, in fact, that we want to destroy the one who disrupts our certainties and calls us to grow and invites us to adopt new ways of life. Like all preachers, I confess that I've dropped some clangers from time to time on a Sunday morning, and there's no guarantee, frankly, that this morning won't be one of those, but I've never had a congregation take me outside onto the road and try and push me under a bus. But Jesus isn't preaching, uh, but given this is Jesus' first sermon, Jesus, the, the junior preacher, I think, might benefit from intensive coaching from a senior pastor who's a potentially gifted preacher, I know, because on that particular morning, he was winning no friends and influencing no one. But Jesus isn't preaching that morning in order to impress the gathered crowd of friends and family and, let's face it, rubbernecking neighbours. Jesus stands among them not as Mary's son, not as that pimply kid from down the road that their children played with, but having been filled with the power of the Spirit. And this Spirit-filled Jesus, he reaches back into the history of his people to a time when they'd been in exile in Babylon for 70 years, when the lush green fields that they tilled had turned to dust when the vines of their vineyards had been eaten to stubble by wild animals, when this holy city of Jerusalem was nothing but rubble and the temple of Solomon was just a pile of rocks. He reaches back into this word of God, the word that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. In the midst of this extraordinary desolation, he reaches back to these words of hope and freedom and he stands there 500 years later as the beloved son of God, having been tested in the wilderness and filled to the the brim with overflowing power from the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, at the very start of his public ministry, Jesus says, today, right now, this is the moment when this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. You see, these words from Isaiah, they're they're not just dusty old promises for people who have gone to dust. This is the word for today. This is the word for right now. And understandably, I think, at that point in the sermon, all of them thought he was fantastic. Scripture says they spoke glowingly about him. Jessica in the third row said, oh, thank goodness, finally someone's here to help. 
And Harry, who uses, usually catches up at some sleep in the second back row of the congregation, said, yeah, not bad for a first effort. I've got to say, it's better than some sermons I heard. And Frank replied, gee whiz, Joseph's boy can preach. And why wouldn't they speak glowingly of him when a powerful, spirit-filled prophet stands before you and proclaims that this year, 2021, is the year of the Lord's favour, which must make all of you the favoured, right? Jesus' sermon is looking like a home run. But then, well, it's kind of like Jesus doesn't know when to sit down. Because after reading from the prophet of Isaiah, he tries to land the sermon by pointing to a couple of stories that demonstrates what he means. He names the ministry of two of Israel's most important prophets, Elijah and Elijah. And he calls out two particular examples from their ministry where the favour of God he's talking about is withheld from the people of Israel, but given to outsiders. Firstly, to the starving foreign widow who worships other gods in the region of Zarephath, and then to Naaman, the Syrian general, the leader of the army of Israel's enemies who God heals. And the feelings of the congregation quickly turn because they realise that Jesus isn't talking about God doubling down on his favour towards them. Jesus is talking about how God's favour is reaching out beyond them to embrace all the people that they think are beyond the pale, or at the very least, the ones that they think should be at the very back of the line for God's favour. And if you think that this is just an issue that the church experienced in the first century, I want to invite you to think again. I was reminded by a colleague just recently that this old story is also our story today. The question of who's in and who's out and who has God's favour and who's worthy of grace and who should be first and who should be last and who should we lock the doors on is still with us. Victorian Baptists in my lifetime have thought about who should take communion We've argued about the status of divorced people in the community of faith. We had a big Barney in the 1970s about the ordination of women. And as an ordained woman, I can tell you that that debate is still with us. And of course, we all know that the argument today is about gay and lesbian and trans and non-binary Christians. And I wouldn't want anyone to think that I'm standing above all of this, because I'm not. I have a great deal of empathy for the congregation that day who heard Jesus preach. Because if Jesus had spoken the names of the particular people who I think are beyond the pale, who I think should be standing at the back of the line, I'm sure I would have been outraged too. But there goes Jesus, coming in like a cyclone, tearing the roofs off the houses of the nice, neat houses of certainty that we've built and inviting us to think again. Because Jesus seems pretty insistent that if the good news is really gonna be good, then it's gotta be good for everyone. Good for the world, good for the ones who the world pushes to the back of the line, and good for us. I've heard this sermon from Jesus referred to as Jesus' mission manifesto. 
this moment at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry where he tells us what he's here to do before he rolls up his sleeves and gets on with it. And I notice how the way that Jesus explains what he thinks his mission is, is sometimes at odds with the way that we talk about it in the church. We talk about how Jesus came to die so that we might be saved from our sins. But that's not how Jesus talks about his mission. He says that he's on a mission to bring God's favour to the poor, to the imprisoned, to the blind, to the oppressed, to all of the ones who have been denied God's favour and the dignity of their humanity. The mission God has given Jesus isn't to find the best or the brightest or the purest or the most righteous and to elevate them into positions of power and influence. His mission pushes in the exact opposite direction of a world that seeks to put more more wealth, more privilege, more power, more resources in the hands of those who know how to play the game and stockpile the results. A game which by definition is one underpinned by exploitation and exclusion. Jesus' mission, by contrast, is one of inclusion and self-giving love. I mean, just remember all those stories you've read in the Bible about who it was that Jesus ministered to. The sick, the possessed, the sex workers, the nobodies, the outcast, and literally the dead. And what the Gospels make abundantly clear is that many religious people from Jesus' day were against Jesus and against his mission, including the ones who heard his first sermon that day. But who were the ones who were for it? Well, they were the broken. They were the suffering ones, of course, the ones that Jesus healed and helped and welcomed and included because they simply couldn't believe it, that this unmerited favour they'd received after a lifetime of struggle, after a lifetime of shame, that despite everything that had happened to them and everything that they'd done, that there was hope, that they could leave it all behind and let it all go and start again. And in starting again for the first time, they wouldn't be alone, that there was a person, a God, a community of love, that their lives could be resurrected in Christ. Because the invitation of the gospel of Jesus is an invitation to dance to take God's hand and allow God to dance us into the fullest dimension of life there is, full of the rhythms and steps and moves that leave our bodies radiating with vitality. Have you ever met an impoverished person who's received the good news of Jesus? Why, they are some of the most joyful people I've ever met. Have you ever met someone who's been freed from some kind of physical or emotional or mental prison? One day a woman on a Sunday morning walked into church. She'd literally been released from prison the day before. And at the end of the service, she came up to me so disappointed. She said, why are you all so serious? Why are you sitting there with those sour faces? Why isn't everyone dancing and shouting and celebrating? That's how she felt about the freedom she'd experienced in Jesus. 
Have you seen a desperately sick person being restored to health? It's like they're a walking wellspring of gratitude. Friends, this is the opportunity that we have. This is the mission that Jesus invites us to share. A mission of inclusion and self-giving love. And this is the mission that Jesus invites us here at New Hope to continue. This week I had my own experience of some of those gospel seeds springing to life with new shoots of understanding. The Winter Shelter welcomed its first guest this week. For those of you who don't know, Winter Shelter is um, happening across the city of Whitehorse where a group of churches are gathering together to provide a safe place and food for people who are experiencing homelessness to come and sleep. Many New Hopers here are involved in the shelter as volunteers and we host on Thursday night. Well, this week I started to meet and to get to know some of the guests to understand in practice what it means to live without a home on a practical level, to understand some more about the factors that bring people to this place of being without a home and that hold them there. And in many of the ways that you would expect, it's, it's, what, it's what you would expect. It's childhood trauma, it's tragic accidents, it's escaping violence, it's addiction, it's criminal history, it's mental illness and chronic illness and so much more. But the thing that took my breath away this week, the thing that I really wasn't expecting, is just how hard it is for these people to trust. You see, what I didn't understand about the journey of homelessness is that it is a journey of broken trust. There are people and family and friends and institutions and agencies and good people with good intentions like you and me who in the eyes of these people, we've let them down. We haven't been there for them in their time of need. I'm not talking about who's right and who's wrong. I'm talking about what they experience, how it is from their perspective. So one of the guests, he came back multiple times this week on multiple days and spent multiple hours with us here until he decided to stay. Because the thing that he couldn't get his head around is why we cared so much. And he wanted to know, could he trust it? How could there be 270 people in the city of Whitehorse who have volunteered their time to care for him? He said, I don't understand. I don't understand why you care. This is so different to anything that I've ever experienced, but I feel safe here. See the favour of God expressed through the care of the people of God. It feels so foreign to those who are used to being outsiders. It feels so foreign to those people who are so used to being judged, used to being shamed. But when they experience it, my goodness, they immediately can see the power of it. And it brings them to tears, boxes of tears. I'm so grateful for the way that God is filling us as a community with His Spirit. The way that He's sending us out into the world as agents of hope and of favour. 
There are so many stories that I could share with you this morning about how that's happening around and through and in the life of New Hope. There are families here at New Hope that are reaching out in care for their neighbours. There are different, there are small ways that people are supporting one another. I mean, here's an example. I heard a wonderful story about the difference that that jar in the cafe makes sitting on the top of where the food is when you buy a coffee for someone else and you pay it forward and they can just come in and pick up a pebble and use it. And the large things that we do here at New Hope, like the medical centre. I got an appointment for someone in need this week in six minutes and it just felt like a miracle and it just felt like a gift. And last month in June, together we raised $75,000 for the New Hope Community Care Appeal. And that just feels like a gift that will enable us to keep going with this work of reaching out and caring for the community. And all I know is that these things happen because God is working in your life. They are expressions of the overflow of God's love and God's grace in your life. So I want to encourage you that every act of care and welcome that you do matters, that really matters. That in the economy of God, God can take, I don't know, five carrot sticks and two Vegemite sandwiches from some sweaty lunchbox and he can turn that into a feast that can feed thousands. Such is the power of God. So the mission that Jesus announced all those years ago, it hasn't changed. It's still Jesus' mission. And it's the mission that He gives us here this morning. So friends, let the good news of Jesus keep blowing through your life like a cyclone. Welcome the momentary discomfort of those seeds of Jesus' gospel springing up in your life, bringing fresh shoots of understanding. And keep dancing with God. Keep dancing until your heart bursts forth with life. Amen. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you that um, the spirit of the living Christ is with us this morning and that you bring your power and you bring your grace and you bring your hope right here. For we are the lost ones, Lord. We are the lost ones looking to be found. We are the ones in need of hope and healing. We just thank you for the gift that it is to be in your presence, to have our hearts and minds and souls knitted back together. So we receive the grace that you pour out upon our lives now, Lord. Fill us to the brim. Fill us so that we're overflowing with love, Lord. So we might be carriers of your hope and your grace this week in the places that we go. We give you all the praise and glory, Lord, for your love is the thing that transforms us. And it is a privilege to be carriers of that great light and that great hope in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.